This is uh, episode 222 of the Bitcoin podcast. I hope I got that right, and Chello, so Cello won't I, be I, mad at me. Huh? <laughs> I think you got it right. I'm not sure either. Cello's <laughs> gone for the day, the guy that takes care of a lot of the organizational stuff, so you might say <laughs> wrong things. We're just going to go off the walls today. We're off the rails from the get-go. We don't even care. Now, this is episode number 200. And twenty one, two and two of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm host number two, D. I'm host number two, three, Dr. Corey Petty. And today we have a guest on the roundtable, Mr. Alan Wozniak. Say hello, Alan. Tell us where you're from and why you're here. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to be actually on two, two, two of the podcast. But uh, so I'm in Doha, Qatar, a little ways from my hometown of Calgary in Canada. And uh, just that real quick, I've been listening to the podcast for about a year now, and it's really helped our projects in the blockchain space. I can tell you about that some other time. You got to give us a, a quick introduction of what you're doing, like how, like how you got to the space. Like, like how you, how, what's your involvement in the blockchain space? Uh, literally, it was a guy who wanted to do a project when the ICO, you know, big boom last year, Bitcoin ICO. And literally, I was saying, take it off. You know, when it was at 10,000, I was telling him, take it off the table, take it, let someone else. And he, he hung on to about 15, 16. But in parallel, I just, I studied the space. I went to Motley Fool, learned to understand what, what you know, what the technology was. And, and that's really how I found you guys, I think, in November sometime last year. And for me, it wasn't about doing an ICO. It was about having a and, uh, something that the business, a business use. So... Out about January, we started on our white paper, and we've, you know, we're having a little bit of fun since then, and uh, doing a little VC hopping these days, and trying to—it's really hard to do it remotely, and as you can, as you can see, it's pretty far. I so, imagine yeah. so. Yeah, it can't be easy trying to raise raise money. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've written a post on the whole process, but uh, in medium. And just along the way, it's been a lot of fun and learning, you know, learning from you guys what's important. And, and obviously, I'm not a tech expert, and I think Colin's called me out on that on the Slack. I'm a CFO, I'm a chartered accountant, and, uh, you know, like a CPA. And so I've just looked at it purely from the business side, and I rely on, like, Corey and Colin and, and, and the boys on the, on the podcast, whoever, just whatever information I can get to, to help me along. Cool. I guess with that being said, like, like, is there what? What would you want out of the network to help you do better at what you do? Like, is there something that's missing? Because we tried to have the whole network kind of, um, like, 
provide information for all the different types of people who are a part of this community, whether it be technical or not. What, what, what would be an addition to the network that like, you think you'd be like, hell yeah, I've always wanted something like this and it doesn't exist? You know, I, Corey, I think that's a, that's a loaded question. I'd say there's nothing because every time, let, let's go back to Taylor Monahan and listening to my ether when it's the Mew and myether.com and you go to that, her website or that, that original website and it's just, you drill down and there's so much information. And then you go to Ethereum and there's so much information. There's, re- there's, you know, every time I have a podcast, someone's on there and there's information that just literally, you know, you can drill down. So I, it's complete. I mean, you repeat things, you say it about the wallet and it's the repetition. I don't think for me personally, I don't think there's anything more, but people are still looking for more. It's because they're not really focused on what's available and that, that for me, that's complete. And I, I'm not saying that in, you, you couldn't do better if I really thought of it, but I think on whole, it, it's such a complete offering. The menu is there. Everything's on the menu. Nice, like man. That. We just got a rave review in front of our faces, Corey. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty All cool. Well, uh, well, thank you for, for joining the show. And so let's let's get into a little talking a little bit of crypto, right? Crypto seems like it's all over the place this week. And the only reason I say that is because I've been for the past what 20, 20 weeks, I've been collecting all these headlines and having to read all these headlines and interpret all these headlines. And it just seems that this year is uniquely different than years previous when it comes to the type of attention crypto is garnishing and the narratives that are coming from cryptocurrency this whole ecosystem as a whole. I don't know. This is just me like having thought diarrhea on you guys. But do, do you right, feel that good. way or? I don't know. You're the one reading all the headlines. Like I, I've now, I think I've gotten a lot more averse to check in various news sources for headlines and I go much more to like the source of the, of the projects that I'm interested in. So like, how have you seen this narrative change over the past 20 weeks just regard just in regards to like the headlines from various news sources especially in like such a bear market oh man it's, it's all over the map it when i say all over the map i mean a lot of the funding looks like it's coming from private equity private groups here and there um i think the days of the public icos raising shit tons of ether which translates to shit tons of dollars those might be in the rear view for a while um because it looks like it's all private like jesse and i had a joke on this past week's show like we need a bulletin board with the thread and the pins to try and keep up with we need to find pepe sylvia we need to find pepe <laughs> sylvia like that's what it boils down to Huh? I don't get that reference. What's that reference? Pepe Silvia from <laughs> It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Remember when Charlie got the job in the mailroom? And he was like, who's Pepe Silvia? Who the fuck is Pepe Silvia? And like the guy came down to the mailroom was like, Pepe Silvia doesn't exist, Charlie. And he was like, oh, my God. And he was, you don't remember that episode? I don't think I've ever seen that episode. I've seen a lot of It's Always Sunny. I swear we watched it together in the house. But I, I could have seen it. I don't know. Maybe I just forgot. My memory is now shit. Yeah. So now Jesse and I are obsessed with trying to find Pepe Sylvia <laughs> and, and this mystery woman named Jessica Stratton because I just feel like some really powerful private threads are being pooled on cryptocurrency and, and blockchain tech. And that's all you 
that's all the headlines kind of point to is like who's regulating what how's it being regulated where's all the money going where is it not going uh i don't know i think so, I, to inject on that idea for me i think it's, it's been welcome change to see less distraction and i think the tension of people like venture capitalists or people in the tech are focusing the more and i've heard the word you know i know i don't know you guys don't like the word biddler but building is really important and i think um you had the guest you had uh, richard Rick, uh, geez, richard burton you know the uk guy from i can't remember the name of his company balance. but you know yeah you know balance.io yeah, balance and 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 he said it right the next wave the second wave is is the, the builders that are going to bring out the business use cases and i i think you know when you get there you you're going to have a, a focused and more uh, the attention of those people that have been you know it's been a distraction the the, mm -hmm. the ICO is I wasn't in it, but I, I see it's a huge distraction. It's, a lot of people are still negative things about the the shit coins or the that you know the, the coins out there. So yeah, I like mm -hmm. this. I like it personally. I think it, it's it gets an interesting return to the way things used to work, and that uh, maybe the process of using VCs to vet projects was a, was had some value to it, and that. Um, when we had this massive ICO boom, we lowered the barrier of entry to anyone being able to create any token they want and get funded for it. We had yeah. that allowed that opened the door to a lot of people who didn't know what they were doing in either like a business sense or even a technological sense. And when you have a process that has VCs that are part of it, they really, really do a good job. Well, hopefully, if they're a good VC firm, vetting the technology and then supplementing it with whatever it needs to be supplement with maybe a good business plan and things like that if they're going to give them money and so when you see companies or vc firms back projects it's because there's something there and the vc firm has a lot to offer to it whereas like if you have a, like a fully decentralized ico model the contributors to the project aren't really contributing anything valuable other than some tokens or some money for tokens and that's so right people then have to figure out what to do with that money so they either hire somebody to help them with it or don't, or just like blow it on stupid shit and exit scam. Mm -hmm. Well, look, look at the shift. Look, sorry, D. Look at the shift in uh, AZ, uh, A16Z, the uh, Anderson Horowitz. A year ago, I was reading on one of their one of their websites. We only fund infrastructure, the infrastructure build out. So anybody doing business case uses, uh, we're not funding. I, I remember seeing that. I don't know where. Recently, that, that crypto fund, there was a two, three hundred million with Chris Dixon. You mm -hmm. know, they now have that focused on the business side of it. So there's that's a shift, and I think that's important for me. It's a fundamental shift, and it's really going to help companies like myself or guys like uh, build out. Yes, and Andrew's Howard, which is good. So yeah, here's the other story, the other side of that story that I think we we're losing because of this this shift back into VC back funds, right? It's um, the it was the, like the ICO boom and ICO, like that that structure of fundraising was the first time I think history where you had a lot more inclusion for people to invest in the things that could potentially be very big. Uh, and so, but with, with the shift back outside of that, if we're not doing that anymore, whenever we have this ability for people to buy tokens, it's much, usually much 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 after the point at which like real like. I guess real short-term profits can be made. Like the getting in on the ground floor is no longer an option. If you only have a select few, you get to bootstrap companies or like yeah. individual projects. Yeah. And I think that's, that inclusion was a really big step 
forward in terms of allowing people to invest in things and make and give themselves a good distributed portfolio and help themselves become financially free. And I don't, I don't know how it's going to get introduced back if we don't have things like mm -hmm. these distributed ways of doing fundraising. Yeah, it looks like it feels like a giant horse race and your A16Zs are sitting in the audience placing their bets. Everybody's placing their bets right now to see what wins and you know it's this almost no different in regular business, right? Like I'm sure these VCs vetted thousands of companies coming out of either Silicon Valley or you know some of the I guess Atlanta is known to have kind of a tech crowd as well. Like there's probably thousands of new ideas and businesses a year that VCs are vetting. It's no different. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I don't think, I think that use case was important for crypto, the ICO use case, cause you had to have crypto to get in on the ICO. And I think it needs to be reestablished because without that, I'm seeing a lot of ICOs now pop up where you can just use a credit card to get it. And that to me is like, well, if you could just use a credit card to get it, then why even have crypto in the first place? That's right. What What's the point of even having crypto? So, I don't know. Things are a-changing. That's all. You know, it's just, uh, listen, I had a dialogue with Richard Burton just a couple weeks ago. He was in India. And he was talking about he's got it's, 50, it's going to be 50 years before you get a change. Because the biggest thing we were talking about is the migrant workers, the payment. So here in, in Qatar, the guy gets the money, so he gets paid to his bank. He goes, to, he goes and pulls out from an ATM or bankomat or whatever you want to call it. He pulls out the cash, then he walks down to Western Union and sends to the Philippines or Sri Lanka or India. So it's a two-step. There's so much friction in that whole process. <laughs> You're kidding me. It's simple. Go from your bank card and send it, or from your credit card, your phone, and send it straight to Philippines. Incredible. Hmm. Why aren't they doing that? They don't trust. They don't trust the device. They don't trust. They want to see the paper. They want to see the written slip from Western Union that says, "Here you go." All right. So you have, then you have some type of like the social narrative, social trust around these entities for some reason, maybe because they've been around for so long. How do you how do you build that? How do you how do you grow that so that they can trust it and use it use a technology that's objectively superior? Time. Time, yeah, patience and time. It takes time to build trust, man. There's no way around that. That's like a universal law. I'm getting really good at this old black wise shit. Anyway. <laughs> uh it just takes time to build trust. It took time for you know when the when the Chinese were coming out with paper currency back in the day, people were like, get that shit out of here china nobody wants any of that all right give me some booyans or get the fuck off my boat like that's that's probably how the conversation went but then you get more and more people that are like hey man this dude from china gave me this paper it's working it's working great we got this whole economy economy's booming it just takes yeah. time my back don't hurt from carrying around gold all the time yeah my back doesn't hurt we just keep all the gold in one spot and we all kind of agree through handshakes and maybe some assassinations here and there that like <laughs> i don't get but look look at look at hong kong you know, like, like, oh, uh, sorry audience Corey needs to mute his mic because Corey's at a conference uh he's at eth berlin eth berlin uh sorry about that audience but uh it's it's live in Berlin right now. 
Go ahead, Alan. <laughs> if, you look, if you look at China, Hong Kong, right? Why did the British get to Hong Kong? Because of the opium trade, right? They were trade. They had to. They had to get compensation. They didn't want China, so they said, "Give us a few. Give us a few uh, little plots of land." And they got to Hong Kong for 99 years. So I mean, because of the opium trade, and you know, as you as you said, maybe they, they weren't taking money, so the opium uh, was more lucrative. Yeah, I mean, it it just it, it just takes time. That's all. And, and the repetition and, and people become comfortable with it. And then, you know, decades and decades and maybe even centuries later, but for the U.S. specifically, decades later, you have kids in second grade yeah. playing with plastic versions of your currency like you and I uh, did. So <laughs> let's uh, so Alan, uh, Corey can't talk because it's loud where he is right now. He's in like a conference room at that at that conference or that Corey. I'm not carrying Corey in this conversation. You know I can't hold a candle to him. <laughs> I just wanted to know um, how do you have time to, to, to keep up with all the things that you consume? Because you tweet at us, you you send us messages via LinkedIn, you're in our Slack every day giving us like very good critique uh, slash palling around. Like, Could you give advice to somebody in your shoes that's trying to consume and learn like, how are you managing this? Because it's a lot. People don't realize how much it is until they really start to dig into. You know, I, and I've said this, and I'm going to say this. I, I listen when I listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, and I know he's kind of rough on the uh, on the edges, but for me, it was the hustle. When are you going to do this? If you don't like, you know, if you're going to learn something, when are you going to do it? Weekends, nights, you know, it's it's whenever I have a free time, I, I pop on the the podcast. Or I read it, you know, I'll sit down. And unfortunately, that takes a, a very understanding family. The girls and my wife are very understanding. And uh, so it's just really the hustle on weekends, nights, uh, mornings, early mornings. That's really what it is. And I know I know, Collins called me out and said the drugs the drugs must really help. But it, there's no drugs. Just the, really. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Yeah, I know. Um, no, no, but it's funny. It is funny, right? It, it is. It is. Yeah. So. For me, it is drugs. It is a shit ton of caffeine. Oh, my camera's not on. You can't see it. It's a lot of caffeine every day. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. Coffee and coffee and Red Bull really help for me. <laughs> um, you know, just to for for those of you, we do know that we get a, a pretty good amount of new listeners on a weekly basis. Um, we just have a revolving door. People check out and check back in because we release so much content. Um, but if you're new and just getting into this, don't be, um, overwhelmed by the amount of information that comes out of cryptocurrency in the blockchain space, because it's just par for the course. Now with anything, there's a wealth of stuff to bite down on and chew on. So anyways, that was just me giving you a, a, in fact, crypto has got so awesome. We had some fake news this week. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Goldman Sachs. Somebody reported that Goldman Sachs canned their trading desk that they were working on, which I don't understand why it takes them so long to build a trading desk. But there's a lot of things I don't understand. But that was complete fake news. Goldman Sachs came out and said, yeah, like I think their exact words verbatim were, I'm sad that I'm having to use this phrase, but when it comes to us and closing down our plans to build a cryptocurrency trading desk, that is fake news. And so, wow, wow. So, yeah, 
that's one of the headlines, Corey, that I read. And I was like, wow, it is getting deep in the crypto space now. We have bona fide fake, fake, fake news, news coming from China. Um, but anyways, so this is a good time to cut to the interview. Um, today we have on drum roll, please. That was a weak drum roll. Mr. Imran from ZK Capital. He's an advisor at ZK Capital. And I ran into Imran in a telegram for the Handshakes Protocol. Um, if you don't know about the Handshakes Protocol, Google that right now. <laughs> trying to decentralize top-level domains, which is going to give governments a, a a lot of sleepless nights if it is <laughs> wildly accepted and successful. But... Um, he is a bright guy. He works on business dev at Microsoft. Um, he, I got him on the show to kind of try and pin down when decentralization is a good thing. And in my opinion, decentralizing top-level domains could be good because they're all kind of streamlined through ICANN right now, which is a centralized thing. And Domain name, yeah. What's up? The domain name, ICANN. The domain name uh, system. Yeah, they all they all kind of go through the DNS, and you know why not? If we could if we could incentivize a way to decentralize that, where you know people who do legitimate things are getting shut down, yada yada. yada. You don't want to go into the political stuff, but you know there's lots of um, I don't know outcomes that could come from a top a decentralized top level domain. So anyways, I'm rambling. Let's get to the interview with Imran. Uh, here it is. Hey guys, we're here with uh, Imran Khan, who is a uh, biz dev at, at Microsoft, but he's also an advisor at uh, ZK Capital, which is a research-focused blockchain investment fund. Uh, so obviously, even with that short bio that I just gave, I know there was a time in your life where your biz background and your tech knowledge kind of intersected with crypto at some point. So maybe walk us through your background and how did you kind of fall into crypto? Yeah, so uh, I'd say that uh, the past four years I stayed at Microsoft, I worked at Microsoft, and really it was my core focus was really working with our enterprise organization companies. So how do you adopt certain technologies and how do you deploy it from a you know one year to a five year time span? Uh, so a lot of the news that you hear about you know blockchain adoption in enterprise, uh, you know I've, I facilitate some of those conversations, uh, and how I really jumped into the crypto rabbit hole was Mark Andreessen's uh, white paper or uh, publication that he kind of published uh, five years ago through New York Times. And uh, I remember sitting there uh, on my computer reviewing it. I'm like, Bitcoin, what is this Bitcoin? So I started uh, playing around with it. I'm like, you know, why didn't we have this like 10 years ago? I mean, just from a payment perspective, right? Like at that time, we didn't have like, you know, Chase Quick Pay or, you know, Zelle or whatnot. So for, for me, from an ideological perspective, I'm like, this could have like solved a lot of our issues. So I started diving deeper into it. You know, I started talking to a lot of core people within the community uh, at the time. So a lot of the people that you hear about today, I've communicated with, uh, along with Mark Andreessen. And uh, then I just jumped into rabbit hole. Um, so, you know, from then on, I in Chicago, there isn't... Uh, you know, really any, uh, you know, blockchain organizations. So like, you know, most of the crypto companies are at that time were in either Atlanta, which is BitPay or Coinbase out in San Francisco. Uh, so, you know, my options were a bit limited. So I, you know, jumped in with Microsoft because Microsoft had, you know, 
you know, newly accepted Bitcoin through their Xbox Live team. So I'd say, you know what, if this is going to be the closest thing I can get to Bitcoin, then this is how I'm going to do it. So join Microsoft, you know, and slowly work myself into the organization where we, you know, partner with uh, companies using Azure, which is our cloud com- uh, cloud consumption model. Uh, along with that, we have, you know, blockchain as a service. So we do offer, you know, enterprise companies to, do, uh, you know, spin up, uh, Ethereum private chains so that they can, you know, test and play within within their ecosystem. That's you, you got a pretty unique lens on, on how you got into into blockchain. And do you there's a lot of people, I guess you'd call them dissenters. No I'm kidding. But there's a lot of people that don't think that private blockchains can even be a thing. And so could you like maybe more specifically outline what is a private blockchain so people understand the difference because i still think there could be some confusion and some and some people just are completely dismissive yeah so i would say private blockchains are essentially permissioned blockchains so essentially uh if you look at a public blockchain you have nodes being run by anyone and everyone whereas uh in a permission blockchain the nodes are running internally within the organization so some people will say well if you're going to have one or two nodes running within an organization, why even bother, right? At this point, you can just create a centralized database that will facilitate the same thing. Um, but, I, you know, I would counter that by, you know, like uh, when I talk to a lot of the enterprise companies, I shoot down about 80% of the requests on purpose. So uh, if you think about it, like I'm in a board meeting and you have, a, you know, person A saying, hey, you know, I want to use blockchain in my company today. I'm like, do you know the reasons why you want to use it? Right. Uh, and, you know, they can't come up with one or two good answers. Then I'd say, I don't think blockchain is the right solution for you. Um, so it, it's a very uh, right now, I would say that there's very specific use cases around uh, enterprise blockchain. Uh, you know, there's a couple companies that we're working with where we're deploying something really, really cool that could bring in some new revenue streams. Uh, but it's going to be very specific and it's going to be very uh, it's going to be just a handful of use cases today. Um, but the, so that's kind of the rundown on, on the enterprise side of blockchain. Thank you. I had a question about that D cause we never really talk about private blockchains on the show. Yeah. If I, if I owned all the nodes or a majority of nodes on Bitcoin, it would not be an immutable ledger anymore in that I could create a false history to be signed and accepted by all. Uh, yeah. So, uh, if, if you are operating all the nodes then technically speaking, you could, you know, add and delete whatever you want in the ledger, right? I mean, from a perspective of uh, just kind of maintaining a permission blockchain, that could potentially happen, right? So I think, uh, you know, when we think about how it's being orchestrated or created, we have to think about a few things, right? So one, who are the uh, node operators within an organization, right? How are they going to deploy it? And then three, what are the different use cases that would prevent people from, you know, adding, deleting things off the ledger? Hmm. It would it would almost require if if a company or, or people were using private blockchains, they would kind of need to know those things. But since it's a private blockchain, they wouldn't necessarily be entitled to tell them, right? But I guess it would just be good business to let them know. Well, well simple, I mean, simple audit would reveal everything. I'm sure. Exactly. Um, so audit would be the most important thing, um, and so you you would you could foresee. Um, you know, like a, someone that's internal, that's actually auditing the system uh, that can kind of, you know, relay the information back. So okay. it, 
Yes, it's all going to be depending on how the organization ran and then how it's going to integrate with the permission blockchain. Good deal. Well, private blockchains and, and, and their matters aren't well. Why I, I, I invited you on the show. I invited you on the show because I was hanging out in the in the Handshakes Telegram, which is buzzing every day. Um, and you posted a link <laughs> to your article, uh, Handshake, ENS, and Decentralized Naming Services Explained. And yep. I, I read your article and I was like, oh, I have to get him on the show to help you know our audience understand why a decentralized naming service could be a big deal and why it is important. Um, uh-huh. So I guess the first thing we should do is kind of outline what is a decentralized namespace? Why is that important for uh, a Web 3.0 that essentially Ethereum is trying to be the backbone of? And then maybe we can go into clarifying the difference between the ENS and handshakes, because I thought they were the same thing at first, but there's nuance. So... I'd say from a from an Allah perspective, you'd, uh, the question that was asked was uh, the decentralized. Uh, why need? Why do we need a decentralized naming system? Correct. Yeah. So you know, if you if you think about history, um, the history uh, of the way uh, the domain name systems work today is it's very archaic, right? So you have uh, a a centralized organization like Icon, which is a uh, a, a not for profit organization that manages all the na- uh, domain name sy- uh, file systems. So today, if I want to register a domain, right, a, t- a top-level domain, uh, let's say a .com or a .org or let's say .imran, which is my name, um, I would have to fill out an application and then I have to pay a $200,000 fee and then go through an auction process to acquire that domain name system, uh, that domain name. The issues with that is uh, two things, right? One is there's a centralized governing authority that's kind of saying who can have this domain name, who cannot have this domain name, right? The number two thing is uh, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, for example, there was a recent article uh, of how Google purchased .app for $25 million, right? So if you're thinking about someone like me that wants to purchase .app, I have to compete with something like a Google, right? And then I have to go through this process, the second thing is uh, from a censorship-resistant perspective, right? So if you look at uh, what happened in Turkey um, uh, about four years ago, um, there, there's a lot of censorship, resist, uh, censorship uh, uh, rules that they put into place where if a user in Turkey wants to access Twitter, they can't. So if they want to vocalize or talk about what's happening in Turkey, they can't. So, and the reason why, from a technical perspective, is that the domain names that are, 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 that are being resolved, so the resolving servers within Turkey point to a three-level server system, which, would, which will then find the IP address for that website. So what they end up doing is they completely cut off the resolving server from being able to find your IP address. Um, so from that perspective, you're thinking about, you know, control. Um, what information can get into the public's eye. And that's huge. And that's really, really important. Uh, so if you think about it, being able to go over that and resolve to something like a handshake protocol just by downloading an extension and being able to see information that no other can see, that's, that's a, an incredibly important value prop. Mm-hmm. Why do we have so, internet censorship in the first place? Why do we have internet censorship? <laughs> Does it make sense? <laughs> um, um, 
That's a deep question, man. That's a very (laughs) deep question. But, uh, you know, I I think, you know, from a high level perspective, I think there's going to be geopolitical issues. Right. You know, Uh, like if you think about what's happening in China, uh, you know, everything is controlled through the government. So, you know, so if you look at two things, right, like if someone is talking against the government, you can't even send a message on WeChat. So if I was to type in today on WeChat, uh, overthrow or, or Chinese government or anything around that, any key terms, the, the, the server that connects to the WeChat server or the WeChat server will automatically block that. So you can't even type it in and send it. Like you, you could send it and then the other person won't receive it because it'll automatically cut it off. So if you think about it, like if you're, and I'm not saying the Chinese government, like in, in that perspective, but like if, if there's a uh, hostile government that's treating their, their people or their civilians really bad, there's no, and if they have control of, of, of the infrastructure, how do you think they're going to communicate, right? Um, so I think mm-hmm. from, just from this perspective alone, I think this could be huge, right? From, in, from an information perspective, um, if I need help, if I want to talk about what's happening, I can do that just by using something like a handshake protocol, right? Or, or, or websites building on top of the handshake protocol, like Namebase. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think from, a, from that perspective, I think, I think information is currency, right? Uh, and I think that by allowing this type, allowing all information to flow freely with all the citizens of the world, I think that's going to be very important. Yeah, I mean, censorship is... If you control the the ways of communication, then you control your your nation. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, if they censor, if you, it's, it's the North Korea argument, right? You go to North Korea and you're North Korean, all you ever hear is North Korea is the greatest country that ever existed. It was gifted to the universe by, you know, otherworldly gods. And then you leave North Korea and everyone's mm-hmm. like, North Korea is not a great place. It's actually pretty shitty. And you know, Yep. You've, you've hit it spot on. So I, I think we'll see, I think from a 10 year perspective, um, we'll see a completely different world, at least from, from my, from my eyes. Okay. So from an architecture perspective, uh, handshake will replace icon, right? Which is essentially where all of the root files of websites are held. Right. Then if you take it a second level down, the registrars are like, you know, think of them as like the GoDaddies of the world, right? I would even say a, step, a little bit of step above that. But uh, so that's where I would say name base would be, right? Kind of, sort of. And then b- below that would be kind of like your just everyday registrars that are looking to just register domains and stuff like that. So the way it works is the handshake protocol would be where all the websites and IP addresses will be stored, right? On, the, on this immutable blockchain. That would be run by all the miners uh, all across the world, right? For example, so the 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 file systems would be stored on these uh, on on the individuals that are mining the equipment, right? So for me, if I was to download this uh, the name-based Chrome extension, which would help me resolve to a handshake protocol, I would essentially be using this extension to resolve through the handshake protocol, which would automatically route to Handshake, which will then allocate or find the IP address that was stored on Handshake and then resolve that information to me, right? Whereas today, it would have to go through um, 
uh, a resolving server that would go through three different uh, types of servers, which would then find the IP address to the website that I'm looking for. So I, is that uh, the question or the answer you're looking for? For sure. Like I'm, I'm not really like I'm, I'm, I've been in the crypto space for a long time, but not uh -huh. really on the dev side. So I'm like, I'm learning all these new protocols and how they're working Got as it. you're explaining them. So it's kind of like uh, people who are listening to the show, I'm sure are just diving in for the first time. So I'm kind of representing them a little bit over here. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's essentially how it works, right? So um, the, you see, you could think of the handshake protocol as a way uh, or as a way or as a uh, protocol that would replace icon uh, which is uh, where all the file naming systems are stored today so they they own or they have you know access to all of these filing systems today which will store all the ip addresses and the names of the organizations mm -hmm. so that's who they're essentially integrating slash replacing how so again, taking it back a little bit, how is Handshakes different than ENS? Because I remember when back when I was using my Ether wallet, now my crypto, I actually uh -huh. um, bid on an, an Ether name for like dot Dimitric, so I could have my name, and it never resolved or something like something. I guess I was outbid, which is yeah. funny because it's yeah. not a popular name, but. Mm -hmm. Um, nevertheless, um, what's the difference between the Ethereum name system and Handshakes? Or is it just that ENS dropped the ball and Handshakes said, hey, that was a big deal. We're going to keep working on that. So I, I think they both have different missions, right? I, I think Ethereum, is or Ethereum naming system, uh, uh, service is really focused on just building on the Ethereum blockchain. Whereas the uh, for Handshake, it's really on uh, the UTXO or the Bitcoin uh, fork that they're 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 implementing. That's where they're kind of focused on, right? So if you think about it from two perspectives, you have Handshake focused on uh, the uh, the Bitcoin fork, whereas um, the Ethereum naming service is really focused on Ethereum. So that's two. Uh, the way it's run today, right, is that with the Handshake protocol, um, it allows it it, it it integrates from a top. Uh, from the, uh, if you look at the, the DNS architecture, it's pretty much replacing ICON, right? So Ethereum naming service would be essentially kind of like a, a, the way it's operating today, kind of like a GoDaddy, right? So you can go to GoDaddy today and you could register, let's say, you know, BitcoinPodcast.com, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what you could do today with Ethereum naming service. And you could only do that with two uh, centralized top-level domains, that they own today, which is .eth and .lux, which is .luxe. They have something on testnet where you can you know, register any top-level domain, but that's still under testnet, and it's not like readily available yet for the public. So today, they only, have, they only manage two top-level domains, which is .eth and .lux, L-U-X-E. Whereas with the Handshake Protocol and with Namebase, Namebase being built on top of it, you could register any top-level domain. So like literally, you could go on this website today. They have a private beta, and you could register dot Bitcoin podcast. So now, if you own dot Bitcoin podcast, you are you know kind of uh, the essential owner of everything, all of the subdomains within it, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if you think about it from a from a perspective of uh, growth and incentives, I mean, you could technically resell those subdomains to other users that want to use it, right? Whereas today, GoDaddy was had that kind of, well, had that stronghold, 
So they own, you know, let's say .io, right? Mm -hmm. So if anybody wants to register .io, they would have to, let's say, go to GoDaddy. GoDaddy owns the entire uh, .io top-level domain. So anything underneath that, they make money off of, and they also give you managing tools to help you manage your website. So imagine being able to replace that. Hmm. So we got to check to GoDaddy every year. So, huh? <laughs> I think we yeah. got to yeah. check to GoDaddy every year. So, and yeah. the the crazy thing is, is, they give us all these managing tools, and it's almost like bloatware. Like we're not going to take advantage of any of it, and we just hope that our servers are up and running. Yeah. So think about that. Like you could become GoDaddy. Hmm. Pretty interesting. So yeah, I guess some other questions to worry about since it is decentralized and it's most yep. likely going to be open source. What happens if Handshake forks? Is that even so? Is it, that even I mean, something that we happen. could speculate on, or, or is it even? It, 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 it's very hard to speculate on that right now. So I, I, I couldn't really talk through that as of right now. Okay. Yeah. That's safe. I, I, yeah. Yeah. No one knows. Safe on that one. I think everyone's pretty much. I've been in this uh, crypto long enough to know that everyone's standard issue with forking is like, "Eh, let's just hope it doesn't happen. Um, (laughs) 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 That seems to be everyone's final answer. It doesn't matter how far you go or or how, like even Bitcoin Cash is dealing with that right now. After they forked from Bitcoin, now they're. Bitcoin Cash is looking like it's going to fork again, and everybody's like, oh, let's just uh, cross our fingers on this one. Um, but I, what, what hurdles are yeah. there, though, that we can talk about? Say it again? What, what kind of hurdles or, or uh, future events uh, that could happen that you can talk about? I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it really comes down to, you know, you know adoption, right? Like, I think, uh, uh, you know, if you look at a two-year, five-year, ten-year uh, Roadmap. I think uh, adoption. I think I think we'll get a lot of adoption in the beginning and even in the, in the midterm. But like, I think uh, you know, I'd be very curious to see adoption or how that would be speculated with governments and you know, kind of different geopolitical issues. So, um, you know, I could see that being you know a long-term conflict. Um, I would just be very curious on what how they would respond. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about too. Uh, you know, the current infrastructure of the internet exists for a lot of reasons yeah and one of Mm -hmm. those being the government likes to to have that organization because it's easier for them to keep track of um but i don't know it'll be interesting (laughs) to to see what happens nevertheless so agreed yeah that's that's kind of what i see so we'll see what happens and i don't know go ahead so well, I, I guess I'm trying to gather like motives and incentives. I guess the goal is kind of to kill the the ICO narrative. And and uh, Joseph Poon said that the, the I guess the innovation with handshake lies in the distribution and not the actual code itself. However, you know he, he kind of framed the, the effort as as one that sought to answer the question on on if the project fails, given that he believes the idea and the technical technical team is strong. So I, I don't know. I guess, you know, he kind of describes Handshake as, as a donation, one that he hopes will kind of uh, have a, a, a philanthropic blockchain effect on, on everybody because, you know, there's a lot of headlines about how they're giving away money. And I don't know. It just seems like uh, each developer kind of frames it or sees it helping uh, developers in one way or another. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I think, uh, the way I, I loved, I love how it was deployed, right? Because it's for the developers and it's, it's, it's essentially a tool to allow them to build something that's very meaningful and useful using some of the cool things that Handshake has brought out. So I, I love the fact that Joseph Poon really focused on developer and his team really focused on developers because they could bring in the most amount of innovation for, for the, just the overall Handshake protocol and the adoption curve, right? So um, I think that as, you, as time grows, and even being on, the t on this Telegram group, you'll see so many people coming on and saying, hey, I was thinking about doing this. Hey, I was thinking about doing that. And, and I'm a developer, right? <laughs> so if you build, a, if you give uh, developers to not only the building blocks, but incentives to use your, your uh, platform as a way to build something very meaningful, I think uh, that's the type of adoption that we want to see. And I think when you have that and when you get users really hooked on some of the products that you've built on the Handshake protocol, that's how you get user adoption, right? And then you start to see a lot of the, you know, browsers, right? Let's say browser X saying, you know what? There's a lot of users using this website. Why not have them use our browser with that? So then you start to see people, some of these browsers uh, start to include a resolver that would allow you to resolve using the Handshake protocol. So I, I think from an adoption perspective, I think they did the right way. Yeah, I think I read something recently where um, the Brave team has been talking with Handshakes and Namebase. Oh, yeah. I'm um, super excited about that. I hope they do it, but... Um, yeah. Brave is looking like a cool. powerhouse. Um, it's a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. it, it's really getting better so fast. I, I, I started with the original one that they released, and I was like, oh, it's a cool lion icon, but this browser sucks. And now every once in a while I get back on it, and I'm like, this is just as good as Firefox, if not better. It's getting better every single week, it feels like. so. It's incredibly um, fast. Yeah, it's, it's shockingly fast. So uh, that's your little free advertising there, Brave. I don't, I don't <laughs> think you guys got us any checks, but your, your, your browser's getting much better. Um, agreed. Agreed on that. So let's talk about some high-level Ethereum stuff. I mean, you seem like you're in the Ethereum camp. Ethereum has been pitched to everyone as the virtual machine, the ver like the the Skynet, if you will, <laughs> of the future. Uh -huh. I don't know if it's that ominous, but um, you know, it's supposed to be this computer that everyone has access to and everyone can use, so long as they're willing to spend the gas for their decentralized application to run. Um, you think we're anywhere near that at this current point in time? Of uh, of sorry, Ethereum about uh, fulfilling Ethereum its uh, prophecy, I guess. The so I can so. tell you that uh, my, one of my partners at ZK Capital is Raul Jordan, and he's working on something called Prismatic Labs, and he's essentially uh, working on Ethereum 2.0 by introducing Casper and sharding. Um, so there's going to be some cool updates coming very soon, but you have some really, really smart people working on being able to scale out Ethereum. So from a perspective of adoption, I think that you'll start to see some really cool features come out that will help scale Ethereum. That'd be good. That'd be very good. The one thing, the thing I worry about with any blockchain, I guess Bitcoin's uh -huh. kind of proven this true, um, already. But moving into, you know, how the space has evolved, evolved is these upgrades and these changes, um, sometimes they just don't happen. Because if it's a soft fork, not everyone's going to upgrade their software. If it's a hard fork, 
the, the same thing stands. And uh, like, for instance, the Lightning Network is growing really fast, but the adoption still needs to be, you know, orders of magnitude higher for it to fulfill its its function. And it's just, it's a worrisome that, like, this whole blockchain industry is only going to be a niche uh, niche thing for, you know, technological enthusiasts. That's I guess that's not me asking a question. I'm just making a statement, so. Oh, okay. Um, so where do you think the next hurdle is with, with Ether, with Ethereum? I think it's the narrative, really. <laughs> you know, the, the, the problem, I think, with, the, with our space is that we have so many narratives um, about what, what could be. And I think, really, it's, if you look at it, uh, that narrative could control or could influence those developers building on, those, on the different types of blockchain. So I think, I think one of the things is, will Ethereum scale? Yes, right? And, you know, as they're working on building out different solutions to allow it to scale, and there's so many amazing companies come out that introduces, you know, scaling solutions, um, I think at the same point, it's really to make sure that they have their heads down and making sure they're building, right? And that's what's happening today. Um, so, yes, there's many narratives. But I think uh, if you look at it from an all-up perspective, um, I think the teams at Ethereum are doing an amazing job, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're, you have your head down building and there's some really cool innovation coming out, I don't think you have anything to worry about. So I think, yeah, I see some of the hurdles of the narrative changing a bit. But... You know, as long as the developers are building, all the teams are focused. Uh, I'd say, you know, six months, a year from now, you see some really cool stuff being built out where I think a lot of developers will start flocking towards. But if you look at it <clears throat> from, uh, from both perspectives, uh, perspective, Handshake and Ethereum, they're really focused on developers, right? Um, I think uh, I, I saw a number that there's like two to 300,000 developers building on Ethereum, right? Mm. And you can't, you, and, and that's a moat, right? Like, yeah, you could raise $200 million, $250 million, but if you don't have developers building on your platform, then that's an issue. Yep. And I think that's what Ethereum has. Ethereum is definitely winning the, the mindshare developers, you know, hands down. Yep. So I think I read an Agreed. article a couple of weeks ago about people are trying to lure developers from Ethereum with millions <laughs> of dollars, and they're still yep. saying, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to work on your blockchain. Yeah. So that is powerful. If that doesn't speak to people listening to the show, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could raise all the money you want in the world, but if you can't win developers, then your platform isn't going to be utilized because there isn't innovative projects being built on there where you, it would hook users. Mm-hmm. Hooking the, users is important. Developers are out here signing checks like athletes and shit. It's like, <laughs> look, I need a guaranteed yeah. 125000 five years contract <laughs> so um well um yeah i think we we pretty much covered it i think what i really wanted to have you on the show was to highlight that difference between handshakes and ens and why it's important and what a decentralized namespace means um we'll definitely link your article to everyone listening uh because that's the that's why i wanted to have you on the show i was like oh this needs to be spoken awesome. out loud to people and and because I've grown up with the internet and didn't know like how you dissected uh, a URL for me was like perfect. Mm-hmm. I was like, if somebody could have done this when I was like five, <laughs> I would have <laughs> I would have got I would have understood this so long ago. Um, but the article is, is uh, 
very educational for you all listening. So I hope you visit that. Um, so we're going to wrap this up with our trademark question. And that is, in 10 words or less, uh, can you describe Ethereum? Ethereum is a platform to build, to allow, can I start over or no? You can. You can get one <laughs> mulligan. <laughs> I, I would say um, Ethereum is a world computer that will allow users to build innovative products. Yeah, we did it. That's it. That's 10 on the head, I think. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> there we go. Well, Miran, thank you very much for swinging by. I'll probably catch yep. you in the Handshakes Telegram, although I kind of creep in there because there's some high-level talk going on. And I'm like, I'm not a protocol developer, so I'm just going to stay quiet <laughs> and let them talk. Um, yeah, thank you very much, man. We appreciate no it. No problem. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank right. you. Take care, guys. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Hope you learned a little bit about the, let's see, we dice, we tried to dissect the URL and hope you understand a little bit about how it works and how your computer makes a request to the DNS servers and they check their cache. And if they have the IP, then they'll direct you to the whatever website server and then they'll start giving you whatever goodies you like on your computer. Right. That's a pretty overview, pretty high level vision of, of what's going on when you use Facebook every damn day. So there you go. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to keep it short after the roundtable because uh, we know you guys have things to do. And that interview was pretty lengthy. So we'll just plug some stuff and then let you guys go. And. I'm going to give the floor to you last, Alan, so you can kind of talk about all the things that you're doing at Solarnity. Sol- Sol- Did I get Solarnity. that right? Yeah, Solarnity. Solarnity. Yeah, I mean, the, name, the name is stupidly, I had to find a name to get into the solar space, and we ended up diverging from that, but it's a supply chain, supply chain focused uh, blockchain, or using Ethereum, but uh, Solarnity just stuck. Solarnity just stuck. And so. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got my own website, but it's it's not a it's not a marketplace. It's a it's a placeholder, and uh, it's you know it, it's really about the the backstory, what's going on behind the scenes, and just if, if anybody's interested, look that the the there's a lot of hustle work that's necessary. It's not easy. And uh, D asked me earlier, what did I do? What do you know? How what advice would I give people? Like focus on the the key the key areas you want to you know drill down on, and don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the the Bitcoin price, or don't get distracted. I mean, I hold, look, I've got my own, I have an Ethereum wallet and I hold a few, uh, I've got a Binance account and I hold some crypto and I'm a, I'm a huddler or whatever you want to call it. But that's a distraction to look at that every day. And I'm glad the price is, 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 is a, the market is soft because it, it allows me to focus and my team to focus and we're not worried about the price and we're not doing ICO. We're, we're looking for token. So that, that's a different story. We're not, you know, we're not trying to, we, we want, we, we, we're just, we're, Really, the patience. I learned that from this whole thing is just have the patience. And you've said it: time will will heal the wounds, or time will will play this out. So, thank you, Dee and, and Corey, for having me on this morning or today. This is absolutely fantastic, and, and keep on enjoying the show. I'll keep Good enjoying. Deal. 
we like opening up these round tables for you guys to come on and guest host with us. It's pretty cool. Um, no cello this weekend. He is on the beach. No, I'm kidding. I don't know where he is. He had, he's not here though. Um, so let's say, what do we do? The Bitcoin podcast network, a slew of shows, lots of shows. <laughs> um, we put out lots of content for you guys in a week. And, and our plan hopefully is to eventually build this to a one-stop shop where you get like all of your crypto goodies in one week from one place. Uh, we're selfish. We want all of your attention. Okay. So the Bitcoin podcast, Crypto Till Infinity. If you like music, then you'll like that show. Hashing it out is Corey and Colin's passion project slash new show where they like dive as deep as humanly possible. <laughs> into the technical aspects of this this space which is goes all the way from consensus algorithms to how people are structuring their data sets i don't know Corey. you do lots of you do lots of very technical talking on hashing it out we have a new show coming out about the legal precedents that have already been set and how they're going to project into the blockchain ecosystem or cryptocurrency ecosystem uh, the bullpen podcast which is hosted by the crypto bully who was somebody who uh, was just chilling and then crypto hit his world like a wrecking ball molly cyrus style and uh he decided that he needed to talk about it he needed to go out and meet people he's met andreas shook hands with andreas uh, interviewed andreas I think he interviewed mcafee he's just getting out there into the community because that's what he does. Dose of Ether. Damn, we have a lot of shows, Corey. I'm just reading. <laughs> I'm just reading all this now. Dose of Ether uh, is a show by Lucian and uh, by John. I, I, I'm pretty sure I just destroyed your name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> B. John. Um, which is just that. It's a weekly dose of Ether because Ethereum has, what is it? tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of developers working on it day in and day out um, it's trying to be a world computer a skynet and uh, that can be involving so um we give you a weekly dose of ether just the headers myself and jesse broke we talk about i'm tired of describing all these shows go to the bitcoin network <laughs> and just poke around we do a lot um yeah what, just, what Amy's that that's Amy one. Is she coming out soon? Because I, I saw the yes, in. yes, it'll be real yeah. soon. We're, it's in post production as we speak. Right, right. Um, and okay. it'll be soon, and there'll be I think there's already four episodes on deck, so it's gonna be good Just, stuff. It's it's not so gonna be on, huh? A quick one on Amy one because the first podcast that was her speaking about the smart contracts, and that was that's basically. You got me at smart contract. When I when I heard her talking about that, I got it. I mean, literally. So I, I'll just give you that. That was back. I don't know when that was, but that was really the, the the genesis for me. The smart contract idea is something that was, I think, postulated by Nick Zabo, right? Yeah, yeah. It was Nick Zabo back in the day. To me, it's just like a conditional, like send something there if this happens. Like that's right. You know, if this, then that. It's just a big old. Big old fancy if this then that, um, but anyways, um, on rapid with D. There's lots of things that we do. Thank you guys for tuning in every week. Tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, you can get approachable blockchain and crypto goodies here. Um, that's it. You got any shout outs, Alan? I don't, but thank you for well, 
That's it. Uh, I'll keep it at that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. 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 Fanuzi. Yeah. Yeah. Fanuzi. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I still look, everything he posts I, is, is like golden to me. And again, he was on the podcast. So that's a shout out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Amy and uh, Taylor Monahan. Uh, literally, those are the three that I, I and, well, okay. I can stop there. I'll stop there. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Yaya. Yeah. I'll be hanging out with Yaya yeah, yeah, real shortly. Um, cool. Let's see. Shout out to, um, what's her name? I say it every show. Zoe Saldana. There we go. That's her name. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Uh, play the outro. <laughs> <laughs>